What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. And welcome into this week's Dublin to Denver podcast. I am Colin Cronin and I am joined as always by my colleague Stuart Roach. Stuart, who will you be uh, cheering for in the championship uh, games uh, this upcoming weekend? I will be cheering for the Detroit Lions, but I do not expect them to beat the Niners in San Francisco, Colin, but I, I think they're a great story. Uh, I'd love to see the Lions get into the Super Bowl, but uh, I think this may be one step too far, but they've already had a fantastic season. And I will, of course, uh, regardless of whether or not I was a Broncos fan, Colin, I would be absolutely cheering on the Baltimore Ravens. However, I do have a an awful feeling in the pit of my stomach that and, and and to be very specific, Colin, I think I can see the Ravens getting screwed in this game somewhere along the line. I think there's going to be a horrendous uh, call by one of the officials. I think inevitably it will be in Mahomes and Kansas City's favor. Um, I expect the Super Bowl to be a repeat of the uh, Jimmy G um, Sort of like meltdown is probably too hard, but I, I expect to be repeated the Niners Chiefs from a couple of years back. I hope I'm wrong. I think if the Chiefs go in there and beat Baltimore in their backyard against that defense and against that rushing attack without the aid of the Zebras, then I will hold my hands up and say, well played. Um, I think if there's any team that can beat the Chiefs in the playoffs, it is this particular version of the Ravens. Uh, I know the Chiefs defense has been really good. They haven't played anybody quite like Lamar. Um, so I'd love it to be the Detroit Lions against the Baltimore Ravens, Colin, but I am expecting, sadly, the Niners versus the Chiefs again. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I'm with you. I would love to see the Lions do it. I would love to see the Lions win it all. Uh, you know, long, long-suffering uh, franchise and long-suffering fan base in particular, and I think they really showed up in the playoffs. Um, the noise from Ford Field was absolutely sensational, and kudos to to them. I I, yeah, I think look nine times out of ten, the 49ers win that game. I think if I think the one thing I I think is in their favor is they have a head coach who is uh I guess from the Sean Payton tree, in in many ways. But what Dan Campbell does really well is, A, he's, he's really smart. He's very good with, I think, his public persona. It's very different from how it is with players, but his players trust him. They believe in him. They'll absolutely run through a brick wall for him. But what he does is he's so consistent, Stuart, in his decisions. He, unlike Brandon Staley, where Staley initially would go for it on fourth down and, and then kind of the media criticism came, Dan Campbell is consistent. He's going to go for it on on fourth down. And as much as I admire Kyle Shannon, and I think Kyle Shannon is a phenomenal 
play caller. I think the way in which he schemes things up. I mean, this Niners team is going to its fourth NFC Championship game in five years. Uh, he deserves enormous re- respect. And if the 49ers were to win the, the Super Bowl, it would be a, a crowning achievement and well-deserved. But Kyle has an awful tendency to turtle in the biggest moments. And I don't think Dan Campbell is going to do that. You saw that a little bit at the end of that first half against Green Bay. So I, I think if there's to be any chance... It is for the Lions to cause chaos and it's to take advantage of, I suppose, the the opportunities that might present themselves. But when you look at the rosters, the 49ers, like their starters are, are simply sensational. On the other side of things, I, I think the Ravens have a real chance here because I think that defense is so good and it has really gotten to all of, the, particularly the Shanahan offenses, but it's it's very different. Like it, we are seeing a move away, I believe, from the Fangio defense. That kind of the too high look, the shell, um, that was so in vogue over the last few years. But essentially, offenses have learned how to play that, and you have to just kind of dink and dunk your way. But they're pr- they're prepared to to do that. Now, what this Ravens team? It's all the disguised looks, and you could see CJ Stroud kind of the other night trying to process what was going on and kind of, hey, Patrick Queen is here and Roquan is there. That means, oh, wait, hang on. Why is Patrick Queen all of a sudden in my dig route? I wasn't, oh. Um, and it was that was fascinating to watch. And I think, once again, one of the great things about the NFL is the fact that it is constantly evolving. There's always a response to the response. Um, and I think uh, what we're seeing this Ravens team do is special. But yeah, you are going up against Patrick Mahomes. Um, and um, the the Bills, once again, obviously, uh, just coming up uh, short. Um, One thing, Colm, I, I will say, um, the Bills have a tragic case um, each time they play the Chiefs of, of losing a definitely important player either in the week beforehand or, you know, the weeks leading up to it. Like, Tredavious White was gone, Matt Milano was gone. They're both players that would really have helped against the Chiefs. Then the, the the young middle linebacker went down the previous week. Um, in fairness, Colin, that Ravens defense is going up against the Chiefs now um, in full health. Um, and you know, if I'm if I'm anyway associated with Baltimore Ravens, I am putting Lamar Jackson in bubble wrap for the entire week until that game starts because I just don't. You know, I I I, I think just on the, one of the points you made about Shanahan, Colin, I I I 100% agree with you. I think. It, it's almost like he's overcompensated for the fact that do you remember that game that 28-3 game against the Patriots Colin, when Julio Jones got that massive first down down the sideline he needed to run the ball three times to to eat clock and then he needed to get go for the field goal um, and, and I think because he should have played a conservative and then stuck to his guns and he'd been aggressive all season it seems like ever since then as you say in those big moments he, he's gone conservative because he should have gone conservative in the biggest moment that he faced. And there are times you kind of go, no, I this is the time to be aggressive, Kyle. I think the only, the problem I think I have come seeing the Lions beating the, the Niners, or aside from all the talent is, I think the Niners were poor for most of that game against the Packers and they kind of fell over the line. Um, I think if the Niners had blown away the Packers, there might have been an element to complain. See, I don't see the Niners playing as badly as they did against the Packers as they as they uh, against the Lions. And I think 
the other issue is called the, the problems the Lions have had all season have been defensive backs and cornerback in particular. And I, I think the Niners will will mercilessly go after them. And they do have serious weapons, you know, in wide receiver and also Kittle as well. So I I, I, I don't think it's a great matchup for the for the Lions. I'd love to be wrong. I do think they'll they'll the one thing as you said, Dan Campbell is aggressive. He goes for it. He's consistent. I I don't think the Lions are going to die wondering. I think they're going to go out. They're going to punch. They're going to give it their best shot. I just see them coming up a little bit short. And I do agree with you. I think the Ravens have a great chance. And I think all things being equal, I think they'll beat them. The problem for me, Colin, is you see guys the other night against the Bills, guys who have been pretty ordinary for most of the season, suddenly find themselves again. Travis Kelsey has looked a shadow of himself in recent weeks, Colin. Um, to be honest with you, you know, Taylor Swift thing seems to have brought Travis Kelsey more attention in the latter part of the season than any of his play. They look at him against the Bills. You know, they 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 they're like their championship teams find their championship form at critical moments, and unfortunately, the Bills' big players either because they're injured or because they 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 just a little bit of luck goes against them. So you can look, you know, I'm preaching to the to the converted here. You can never bet against the Chiefs. You can never bet against Andy Reid and Mahomes. Um, I'd love to see it, but I I just have a, a sneaking feeling that the Chiefs are going to eke out another win, and um, I think they're going to make the Super Bowl. And I, I think aside from Broncos fans, I think Colin, look, you know, sadly, I think early on, I think we all kind of realised that the Chiefs were in danger of becoming another Patriots type dynasty, and if they get to the Super Bowl this year, Colin, then I think we have to realise that this is yet again uh, the Patriots have been reincarnated because. The Chiefs have no business getting to the Super Bowl this year, Colin, for most of the season, um, and yet they're on the doorstep yet again. It's they didn't hate them so much. You'd have to you'd have to hold your hands up and be mightily impressed. So, yeah, I, I'd love to see it, but I just have that nasty feeling that they're going to get done and they're going to they're going to the, the Ravens and they're going to lose by a field goal or something in the last minute. Yeah, no, I I understand. I understand why you feel that way. Um, I guess my my hope is that the Ravens can overcome it. Um, we shall we shall see. I, I think two kind of interesting games um, and ways in which I've, um, you know we can, I can I can see a path. Now it's tiny percentage, but I can see a path for the Lions. Um, and I, I don't want to see it, but yes, of course you can see a path for the Chiefs when they have who who they have. But we are here. Purdy column is, is just not one last point. Like Brock Purdy is a brilliant story, um, you know, and obviously his draft status has, has been widely publicized. But Purdy has had meltdowns in a couple of games uh, towards the end of the season, Colin. That that, that could happen again. The, the Lions do have a legitimate pass rush. You know, Hutchinson is one of the best defensive players in the league already. Um, so they they do have a shot, you know, and, and I, I do think if Purdy has one of those games, um, you know, Sam Darnold coming off the bench to the rescue. <laughs> I mean, it's been a crazy season, you know. <laughs> but would the NFL scriptwriters go that far? Who knows? Um, I 49ers fans will not want to hear that. Like the discourse around Purdy is insane to me. I thought the discourse around Drew Locke was crazy. Um, but it truly reached uh, sensational uh, proportions on Brock Purdy, who um you know, has operated the Kyle Shanahan system very well over the course of the the season. I thought the MVP talk was a little bit ridicu- ridiculous. That doesn't mean I think Purdy is a terrible QB or a bad QB. I think he's a fine QB. I think there are certain things that he does very well. I just don't believe that Brock Purdy is at the same level as Patrick Holmes, as Josh Allen, as Lamar Jackson. That's 
what I, I, I'm saying. Um, and and I, yeah, I, I just think we're in this weird, especially it's become increasingly so. And we talked about it a little uh, before, but just the, 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 the discourse, the hot takes, the need. Like Sherman coming out, like the and Brock Purdy had a bad game the other night. He he did. He he got it together for the last drive, but that that can't detract completely from how he looked for the rest of, of the game. But some of the takes comparing the guy to um, Joe Montana were ridiculous. Anyway, we are here to talk about. Um, the, the the Denver Broncos or beloved Broncos. Uh, there hasn't been a, a great deal of news. Obviously, plenty happening around the league with um, various kind of coaching hires. We know the Ravens, uh, sorry, the Ravens, the Raiders now have uh, their uh, head coach and their GM, uh, Tom Telesco. And um, it, it looks, Stuart, at this point that uh, Jim Harbaugh will be going um potentially again this is with the asterisks that this could change but it looks like Jim Harbaugh will be the next head coach of the the Chargers as a Broncos fan I suppose just to touch on those what how how do those two I suppose decisions the Raiders sorting get going with Pierce and with Telesco um but also I suppose the Chargers you know potentially bringing in Harbaugh now well, great from a Broncos point of view, Colin. Um, I guess for me, I, I suppose the fact that it's not Bill Belichick that the charges makes me feel slightly better about Harbaugh. But Jim Harp is a is a fine coach. Um, you know, his track record speaks for itself. Um, you know, and they'll certainly be a harder nosed team than they have been in the past. The charges would have probably had a an element of sort of flakiness about them, um, despite you know in recent years gone out and, and making some really interesting and on paper excellent defensive acquisitions they they still you kind of would have always considered the Chargers to be a little bit soft column you, you know being honest and um, I think that's gone now one thing Harbaugh would not accept is 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 anything less than real hard-nosed defensive football in particular um, and I think with Pierce column um, adult sorry and also Harbaugh has uh, Justin Herbert in situ, which is, you know, already there's a massive problem that a, an awful lot of new head coaches tend to have to deal with. Um, he doesn't have to deal with that. So they're starting from a pretty good position. That, like the Broncos, they have massive holes all over the roster, but they do have the most important position already filled. So charges are going to be interesting, Call and, and, and I would be surprised if they weren't considerably better than they have been in the last year or two. Uh, I think Pierce was the right move, Colin, and I think one of the reasons why was he, he got there was a large enough sample size column for it not just to be the new manager bounce. Uh, you know, Premier League fans would know what that concept is. Um, you know, he he did have quite a few games in charge, and they were they were impressive. Column. Um, he didn't have a franchise QB in situ. He uh, he took the rookie and uh, and he made him look like a competent NFL player. Now he I don't know if he's the answer. He probably isn't. Um, but certainly the Raiders looked like a hot mess when McDaniels was in charge which is no surprise to anybody who remembers those awful awful days of the uh, the 2000s uh, early 2000s um, so I think Pierce is a decent uh, he's, a de- he's, he's a decent hire and you know I think the Raiders have some pieces they do they're, they're, they're not you know I, I, I think the days of kind of looking at, at the Broncos and, and thinking you know we need to get up 
you know, we need to we need to deal with the Chiefs and the Chiefs only. I think those days are gone, Colin. They probably you could already gone for a while, but I think they're really definitely gone now, particularly in the case of the Chargers. Um so yeah, as I said, I was happy to hear that it wasn't Bill Belichick, and I think it's still gonna be really interesting to see where Bill Belichick ends up. Um but uh yeah, Harbaugh in particular now is as a Broncos fan Colin, that is that is not one that we would uh you know that that's not it's not helped us um given you know how we've i think we've gone into into the charges in the last few years come and felt confident that we could get a win uh, it's been a kind of a strange brand about you know the charges have won quite a few games in denver we've won some games over there um i'm not sure if we're going to be doing that anymore uh certainly not easily either i i think one thing that um in terms of the coaching thing that's been interesting to me Stuart, that hasn't been pointed out in national media or, or bigger media that I've seen is the John Fox piece, like especially for the, the Cowboys kind of just staying, you know, put with Mike McCarthy because he's won regular season games. I mean, I'm just surprised that nobody has brought it up. John Fox had a fantastic um, regular season record with the, the Broncos. The issue was in the playoffs, much like the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm surprised nobody has brought that up. Uh, the Raiders, I, I think, Telesco, I don't, I don't think he did a particularly good job with the Chargers at no point during his tenure did I, I feel the Chargers I was ever really worried about them, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think Harbaugh coming in there, it will give much more of a spine uh, to the to the Chargers, um, and I, I do expect they will look completely different next year. I think you're going to see a significant number uh, of cuts and that they will get younger. He tends to work much better with younger players anyway. Uh, so I would expect, I think the other thing that's really interesting there is just Justin Herbert, I believe he's a fantastic QB, but he's not a kind of a face of the franchise QB. He doesn't want to be. And I actually think Harbaugh coming in there helps him because Harbaugh does want to be the center of attention. He does want to be the face of things. And so having... Her Herbert not have to worry about that having all the attention on the head coach when he steps to the podium I think will actually help Herbert as well so that's something to potentially keep a, an eye on one of the other things that um I, we were discussing that we you know I think is worth having a, a public conver conversation on is uh, something that um Brett Coleman had done some um, research on uh, and came out during the week, and it was that uh, since 2010, 65% of all Pro Bowl corners were in their sixth season or less. 81% of all Pro uh, all Pro corners were in their sixth season or less. So um, that's since 2010, and I think that's probably you know. Uh, it's inter it's interesting on a number of levels. I, I think the game has has changed. The rules have changed to favor the offense. I think cornerback has become um, a much more difficult posi position to play. You are so limited in in what you can do. The the physical demands are are incredible. The wide receiver knows the play. You have to try to decipher the play. You have to try to cover them. They get the running. They're running directly in a straight line, or they their eyes are down the field. You're trying to backpedal at times. So it is a very physically demanding. These are these are incredible athletes, incredible players. But that piece around you know um, after the the sixth season, and particularly on the all 
pro side of things, Stuart. Like 80, essentially 80% of all pros in their sixth season or less. We have an elite cornerback in Patrick Sertan. He is truly one of the best cornerbacks in the the league. We have had, I suppose, we've touched on it in the in the past. Should you know, does this does does this um looking at I suppose this because this isn't opinion based, this is kind of stats based, and the way in which the game has gone, does this you know change your thinking in the way in which the the Broncos should approach the the Patrick Sertan? Like they're going to either have to give him that contract extension to make him you know one of the best or highest paid cornerbacks in the league, which you know his talent deserves. But is this a team? that should be doing that given where the team is at. There's a lot of stuff there. I can call that you know, a lot of stuff to unpack. Um, the very short answer to that question is probably yes. Um, and I think those statistics in that article probably backs up um, where you're coming from. I think one of the reasons why I call them, I, I, I've spent the recent sort of days sort of looking around mock drafts, things like that. I saw some mock draft. One mock draft had us taking an edge rusher from UCLA and another one had us taking a cornerback from Alabama to pair with Pat Sertan. So we would have two um, elite cornerbacks. Um, to, to to what end, you you, you would ask, um, to keep the score down, presumably as the offense manages to score 17 points per game. Um, one of the other things that Colin, I, I guess there's, there's, a, there's a many-pronged answer to this column. It depends, I guess, if you're looking for, if you're thinking about trading to Pat Sertan, then clearly you're looking for a first-round pick and probably more if you can get it. Um, if you're doing that, one would assume it's to package to go up to get a guy. Um, if you're not convinced that, you know, because there's, there's clearly two tiers of quarterbacks in the draft, um, Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Daniels from LSU, who won the Heisman. Then below that, you've got Michael Penix, you've got Bonix, and you've got uh, JJ McCarthy, presumably. And then after that, there's really not a huge amount. There's guys like Pratt and Rattler and stuff like that. You know, they're probably looking at third, fourth round picks. So you've got two tiers. So it depends on if you're convinced that the only quarterback that you can really mold into a Sean Payton offense and to become the face of the future, to be that franchise QB. If you're convinced that the only way you can get one of those is in those top three in that tier one, then you have to make a trade. And by doing that, you have to get ammunition. The only ammunition that we have realistically at the moment, um, I would say there are three players that you could you could get something considerable for. Um, and you know, it's sliding scale. I think Cortland Sutton could get you something, but would he get you more than a third round pick given his age, his injury history? Probably not. It got Justin Simmons. Again, would he get you more than a third given his age? Maybe. Would somebody give you a second? Very, very late second, you know. Um, and the only really tradable asset that the Broncos have at the moment is Pat Sertan. So just to tie into that column, I had a, a look at um, our, our friendly rivals, DNVR, had a very interesting article about realistic free agent signings if you're trying to recreate the Baker Mayfield option that Tampa Bay um, did and had a successful enough season. Now, bearing in mind that Tampa Bay have an awful lot more genuine weapons on the team than we do. Um, so here are the names that DNVR have listed and this you know I, I have a lot of time for DMVR these are just names they picked there's nothing that I would argue with in this article so here are the names of potential 
free agent quarterbacks that are going to be on the market. And you need to steal yourself because, boy, is this a list. Jameis Winston, Sam Darnold, Ryan Tannehill, Carsten Wentz, Marcus Mariota, and Baker Mayfield himself, if the books decide not to keep him for another year after his, his heroics this year. So, Colin, I think that list should probably open an awful lot of eyes as to what exactly is potentially out there if we don't draft a quarterback in this year's draft. Um, we are almost certainly moving away from Russell Wilson. Um, so that's what you're looking at. So if if you think that Michael Penix Jr., if you think that Bo Nix is the answer and you're happy enough that he's going to be there in around 12, you might have to make a, a move to go up to, say, 10. That's fine. But if you think that only Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Daniels are going to be the player that takes you forward into a new bright era, then you have to make a trade, Colin, because I don't think any of us can stomach another year of a Ryan Tannehill or a Jameis Winston or, you know, the only way that's in any way palatable is if it is there to help a rookie to learn the ropes and then let him play in weeks five, six. And that's and that's an if. As you said last week, and I agree with you, if you draft somebody high top ten, let him go out there and see what see what he can do. Um so I think to me, Colin, that ties into what you're saying. Um, if cornerback is a position that's getting much more difficult, and I think it is, and as you said, if only 60% of pro ball cornerbacks um, are, are into their seventh year in the NFL and 80% of all pros are into their seventh season in the NFL, that says that once you hit that, what, 27, 28, 29 years of age, you're beginning to go on a downward trajectory. And the prime example of this column is Champ Bailey. The prime example in Broncos franchise history is Champ Bailey, an unbelievably talented cornerback. Um, easily the best cornerback in the NFL for any number of seasons. Um, he made it to one AFC championship and he made it to one Super Bowl when he was a shadow of himself. And he only started in that Super Bowl column because the Broncos defense was riddled with injuries. He hadn't started for, I think he might have had what, four or five starts that season. He had a chronic foot injury that had plagued him for a year and a half and it was as disappointing as it was Colin that night and it was a dreadfully disappointing night for the Broncos as a, as a franchise and for us fans it was particularly disappointing looking at a, a, a shell of Champ Bailey being scorched by wide receivers that he would have had in his back pocket three or four seasons earlier so if Champ Bailey if if people are, are, are I want to see an example of what is more important, a franchise QB or a franchise cornerback? And I can't believe a thing even exists because it, it's fool's gold, Colin. It's, there is no such thing as a franchise cornerback. I think George Payton may have coined that one. I, I think the hard decisions have to be made, Colin. Once Russell Wilson was benched, I think it was clear that things were going to be shaken up considerably in the offseason. And Pat Sertan may well be the piece that sort of falls finally to kind of kickstart the thing if we're convinced that we have to get up to draft pick five or six. Um, so I, I previously would have been more reluctant to trade Pat Sertan, but having seen that article yesterday and just looked at the options that are out there, Colm, I think if, if he needs to be traded for us to go and get our guy, then I'm afraid he needs to be traded because we have to get a quarterback. Seven out of the eight quarterbacks in the divisional round were first-ranked quarterbacks call. Some of them got there by different ways. Goff, Baker, Mayfield, obviously. But seven out of eight are first-ranked 
quarterbacks. That is not a fluke. There's, there's, you know, Brock Purdy is the fluke column. The rest of them were picked for a reason. Um, yeah, like, and I think what's um, important here to note is you're, that you're still stunned by that list of free agent quarterbacks. I, I, yeah, I know. I, like, I like mean, that looked like somebody stepped across your grave as we say. <laughs> yeah, when you li- when you list them, I mean, and I, I think, I think when you list them like that, I, I think the Bucks will probably look to bring Baker back. Now it depends on the money. I think if, if Baker, like, I think everyone has seen the Daniel Jones deal and gone, nope, not not doing, not making the mistake the Giants made. So I think Baker will have to take um, uh, a real team-friendly deal because, again, can can Baker, when things are going well and, and you play solely to Baker's strengths, can Baker do, you know, throw the ball down the field? Yes, he can, but he's always prone to um, to mistakes. Uh, now, they're fortunate they are in the South and um, that NFC South is not a strong division. I think if he is willing to take a, a maybe a two-year deal in around 20 to 24 million, I think the sort of Jimmy G deal um, with with the outs, then the Bucks would probably be willing to do business. I think if he's not, maybe they're another team looking for a QB. But yeah, the, the drafting, I think that, that further highlights it. And on the, the Pat Sertan thing, um, Pat Sertan is, first is a absolute elite player. And I've had the good fortune to meet Pat Sertan on a number of occasions, and he could not have been a nicer person. Everything you hear from all around, uh, from anyone who's around him, is he is a fantastic person. So I, 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 I don't think either of us are saying that there's not a huge value to him. I think where it comes from is where the Broncos are at and the hole that the Broncos found themselves in because of the, the picks that they gave away for Russell Wilson and for Sean Payton and the fact that the drafts in recent years have not hit in the way that we would, um, that you'd like them to have hit. And, you know, things can change quickly if you if you have a really good draft class, you, you know, but Brad Holmes has done an amazing job with the Lions. Now, they were they were starting from a very low uh, position as well, but their draft picks and have just been real contributors and have taken the steps forward um, the, where, where they needed them to, to do that. So, yeah, to me, I suppose I, I look at it and um, I just... If you can get if you can get enough to make it work, I I think you take it because I think it's I I just don't think a, a cornerback changes enough when a defense is this um has this many holes like the the teams like the the Chiefs have rebuilt their defense they have a great young defense um and they they're very very impressive but I I. So talked about a little bit earlier. I think we are moving Stuart away from the Fangio defense where linebackers didn't matter to an era where linebacker play is increasingly important. And I say that because you look at Fred Warner, Roquan Smith, 
um, you you look at Patrick Queen. Now, Patrick Queen was really only unlocked when they brought in Roquan and in Mike McDonald's defense. But they what they have been able to do using those two, what the 49ers have been able to, to do in using Greenlaw and in using Fred Warner. Um, I, I Like the the cornerback position, because of, again, the way the league has set it up and the way rules have gone, you can be, they used to talk about, say, Revis Island and Champ used to be able to shut um, players down. It is so difficult to do that now. Even the elite corners get beaten from time to time because the league wants there to be exciting offensive plays. They want there to be splash plays. So it makes it, uh, changes the, the rules. I just, if you got a good enough offer, I I would be inclined to take it. Not because I think Pat Sertan isn't an elite corner. Not because I, I don't think he is an elite person. I just think the if if you were to rebuild this, the reality is is that you are going to have to, uh, you know, have um, you have to build around a QB, and the only way you're going to do that is to to draft one or by like Sean Payton came in to Drew Brees in um, New Orleans in a really I suppose a, a strange way. Brees had been in um, San Diego. The injury happened, therefore they, they and it, like I suppose that had been kind of weird anyway because you'd had the whole Eli situation, so it had never been Breeze's team in some ways, and um, it probably meant that it was never fully right there. But he ends up with them, um, but that's that's what you know that's how he got there. Now that's catching lightning in a bottle. Ultimately, you know. There are ways to go about it, but drafting a QB, three of the four teams left this year um, are drafted a, a, Q, a the QB, Patrick Mahomes, who the, the Chiefs went up for. Um, Lamar Jackson, who the Ravens went up for, even though he wasn't their first uh, first round pick that, that year. He was the 32nd pick in the, the draft. Everyone had the opportunity to take him. Uh, they didn't. Brock Purdy, who, um, and we talked about him earlier, but ultimately the fact that he was drafted, the fact that he's earning, you know, um, a pittance in comparison to the others has meant that the 49ers have been able to build that team around. They're able to have Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, um, Trent Williams, uh, George Kittle, and they're able to have the, the defensive pieces that they have and pay those guys, the, the Nick Bosa, who, since getting the contract hasn't looked quite the same. That's a topic for another day. But yeah, without it, without a QB, realistically, your your ceiling, you might you might get lightning in a bottle once off. And I know people, especially in Denver, will always point to Peyton Manning in twenty fifteen. We that defense was absolutely incredible. They played with a veracity. Um, that we hadn't seen at that point in more than a decade. You you had to go back, um, really, I think, to the Ravens team. I think the Seattle team in, in 2013 played in a different way. Um, it was more on the, the back end rather than the pass rush. Um, so I think you were going back to those Ravens teams of the, the early 2000s. And while Peyton Manning 
physically was the shell of what he was. He was still Peyton Manning. People still wanted to play for him. They were still inspired by him. He still could get up the night before the Super Bowl and give a speech that inspired others. And I think ultimately, you have if you ha- if you don't have a QB, forget about it. Um, and I I think that, um, you know we're we're just we're just going to be like if you bring in a retread, you're just going to be you know you will be treading water at best. If you bring in the the best of the, and I don't know if he is a free agent, the, the best of the um, veteran QBs out there, I would say is Jacoby Brissett. I, I think Jacoby has been underrated, but is Jacoby Brissett really going to excite anybody? He He's not. You know, that's um, that's where, where we're at. And I, I would, you know, if we had, I just think you need the ammunition to even... I, I would even I, I would be okay with potentially, and uh, this isn't what exact exactly what I would like. But if the Broncos made a deal for Pat Sertan, that even if it was the 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 next year, right? That essentially they were if they got two firsts, and if those firsts happened to be twenty twenty five and twenty twenty six, I could probably live with that. It, it, I would probably need the two firsts and two seconds. I could live with that. Um, if we if we were treading water with the ammunition to go up, and then if you just plugged in a young QB this year with the um with the aim of seeing what they had, and if they did if they didn't have it, then you went and you got your guy. I just think you draft, you play, you see what you have, and ultimately you decide then if you want to move on. I think what the the Cardinals with Josh Rosen is the model I would tend to to follow if it's not working out. Um. Stuart, at this point, uh, is there anything else um, you want to to add before we wrap up this particular episode? I think Colin as well, just to, you know, and, and Jacoby Brissett probably is, yeah, he is underrated. But I, I think, you, you you know, your point is valid. And I think there's another thing I think that needs to be considered here is that we have seen massive amounts of no-shows in Broncos home games towards the end of the season. Um, if the Broncos decide to go with a Ryan Tannehill, a Jacoby Brissett, a Marcus Mariosa or whatever, there's not going to be anybody in the stand in those games when it comes to to December. You know, if the Broncos are six and six, say at that stage, whatever, six and seven, um, you know, the Petter Group have they've come in. They this is they've had two years now. Um, you know, they've they, so you know the the big move was the Russell Wilson one. The second big move for the second year was the Sean Payton one. Um, the Russell Wilson one clearly hasn't worked. Sean Payton, they've they, they've picked Sean Payton basically in 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 simplistic terms. Column you had either Russell Wilson or Sean Payton. They've gone down the Sean Payton route. The Pena Group are comprised of a huge amount of incredibly intelligent people. Column they would have seen um, the the ennui that has engulfed Broncos fans in recent years. They know that something significant has to happen. They know they need a new face of the franchise. They know they need to go out and do something, and they know they need a QB. Um, I don't think we're looking at another retread. To me, it's a case of do we make the moves that push us up to get one of those tier one guys, or does Sean Payton see something in one of those tier two guys that goes, yeah, he, he's he's the one I can make into something special. Um, I I just don't think as a fan base we can take another uh, go around the retread circus. Uh, I I I think we'll all begin to kind of wonder what's the point. Um, you know, because like. Brian Tannehill, Tannehill, I can't even pronounce his name. Brian Tannehill, Jacoby Brissett, like these are these are okay players, but like 
we've been we've been here before. Russell Wilson is a better version of those guys, obviously. But Joe Flacco, you know, Case Keenum, like John Elway couldn't even pronounce his name when he when he came in first. Like that's that's where we're at. We, we need something significant, Colin, this offseason. We need to be energized. And I think I know CJ Stroud was picked high, but look at this time last year, Colin, the Texans were going absolutely nowhere. The only story about the Texans was how they managed to win a game in order to to, to torpedo their chances of getting the first pick overall. Um, now look at them. That franchise has been completely energized. Um, it's it, it that, that franchise is trending in one direction, one direction only, and it's all, in my opinion, primarily down to one guy, and that's CJ Stroud. Yeah, uh, like it did. Like I mean, it changed it. Um, you know, and um, I, I suppose the the only thing you you I suppose some people might point to is the Panthers gave up a huge amount to go up and, and get Bryce Young. Um, but I think the issue there for me was Bryce Young was such a kind of a statistical outlier in his size, and we we talked about that a little bit on on this podcast. I know um, certainly outside of the podcast in the real world, it was something we talked about. The concern was always you can do that at, at, at college level. The NFL is different, and he was so much smaller. Like there were small QBs, and then there were tiny QBs. Now, can the Panthers help him? Absolutely, they can. And no matter who the QB is, you you should always be trying to help them. Like the Chiefs try and make life easier for Mahomes. You always want to give an escape valve, essentially. Um, the Eagles did not do that against the the Bucks. Uh, hence, uh, the Eagles haven't done that uh, all year. Um, but yeah, the the piece I suppose is, is a route. to me. You, ha- you swing. You're better off swinging because. Even now for the Panthers, if they ultimately decide that they need to move on from Bryce Young, he's not on a huge contract. So they, they can. like they, they can try it next year or the year after and ultimately after three years if the number one overall pick hasn't worked out, it hasn't worked out. We've seen plenty of people move off of number one overall picks, but you're not hampered. Now, Jamarcus Russell is the reason for that. The NFL changed the rules. They looked after the teams. That's how it goes. There will be plenty of further debate and discussion to be had. I am sure. Uh, we will be back next week with more. You can find Stuart on Twitter at PurpleHeartTC. I'm across social media at Cullum from Cork. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe or tell a friend about us. It really helps to spread the word on the show. All that remains then is to say, go Broncos. Go Broncos.